hello, Tom, Jay, Amy. Thank you so much for being here. Our pleasure. It's my pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for having us. Thanks, Lubna. Perfect. Um, so we are here to discuss our VOA survey, Voice of the Advisor, um, and some of the interesting insights that we were able to surface. But before we get to that, uh, please take a moment to introduce yourselves. Tom, we can start with you. Hi, my name is Tom Hako. Um, I've been with CGI for almost 31 years now um, through a whole bunch of background. And uh, I'm the leader of the architecture practice within our global wealth and capital markets team. Hi, uh, Jay Tekor. I've uh, been in the financial services industry for about uh, 22 years. Uh, and currently I lead a team uh, that's responsible for implementation of our uh, intellectual property products and solutions globally. I'm Amy Mendez, not to date myself like these guys, but I've been um, <laughs> doing UX uh, design and strategy for, for 20 years. Um, currently, I lead the user experience design group for global wealth and capital markets, but most of my experience really is in the financial and telecommunications industries. Perfect. So this is the third episode in our Voice of the Advisor series, and I'm very happy to do it with all of you here. We're going to dive a bit into some of the more technical areas and how we can achieve some of the solutions that our advisors are asking for. Um, before we get started, just provide a bit of context for those that are not aware of our Voice of the Advisor survey or have not watched the previous two episodes, so I encourage everyone to do so. Um, Voice of the Advisor is our survey that we put out into the marketplace for advisory teams because at CGI we have our Digital Wealth Platform, which is a solution for advisors. However, we realized that we never really got to hear from advisors on what they want and what they're looking for. And so... We wanted to make sure that we build technologies that will meet the demands of the market, and we wanted to get the information firsthand from the advisory teams, and so we launched the survey. It's been great. This is our second year, and some really fascinating insights came out this year. So in the previous two episodes, uh, we discussed the main things that our advisors are looking for. The top three are integration between technologies, streamlining of core processes such as onboarding, and then streamlining of investment management processes. Um, so in this conversation, we're really going to discuss how we get to that from a technology perspective and what are some of the things that firms need to do in order to provide those experiences for their clients. Um, so I'll, I'll start with you, Tom, since you are our architecture person here. Advisors want streamlining. We know firms want to provide it. How did they get started on this journey? So I think probably the, the biggest thing from a technology perspective is to start working on breaking their processes and their products, their applications that are supporting their, their, their processes down into smaller pieces that can be used independently and plugged together into different types of processes as the processes evolve um, and allowing that integration because the point of entry is so much smaller rather than just a whole monolithic system with the, with the user interface in front of it. Absolutely. And so... If, if they're to go in that on that journey, well, first of all, we know that they already have a lot of different systems that they use, right? They, they don't have a, I guess what you would call an end-to-end -end process where um, the advisor can do every single thing they need to do within this one platform, right? Or platformization as I've been, we've all been calling it for the past little while. So since they already have this, like what are they missing? So I think the big thing that's really missing is the ability to expose those different pieces um, that are potentially sitting in different systems today uh, into something that can be knit together into a common user experience, a common process that can be managed at one level um, and dealt with um, as, as, a, as an integral whole. Yeah, it's an interesting point, Tom, because... When we see what we see going on in the industry is the maturity of where clients are, and uh, some clients that have uh, newer businesses um, have the the opportunity to have new technologies that can uh, have less dependence on that legacy infrastructure, and some of the other clients we see have uh, legacy technology that is evolving. And there really lie, therein lies a need for having that interconnectivity. Um, and so 
we've we've actually seen uh, and you see the resurgence in or the surgence in robo robo advisory and that type of business um, and they're able to move very quickly because they don't have that that legacy technology debt that they're trying to to work through right so the fintechs um, you know I, I think about wealth simple for instance they're relatively new um, and they came out and they had a very um, E, you know, easy process to onboard a client. I remember I opened up a Walt Simple account and I was able to do it within five minutes. Uh, you know, didn't have to leave the house. Everything was digital and, and it was great. And so we've been having these conversations about how do you bring that type of experience to a wealth management firm for, for let's say, you know, one of the big six who have been around for a very long time. They have obviously they're behemoths and they have a lot of assets um, and also like a lot of different technologies that are sort of stitched together. It's, it's really the, the integration, um, like you talked about earlier, uh, that enables that um, in, the, in the companies with a little bit more of a legacy piece. Um, the, the companies like Wealthsimple were, can be really, really targeted and say, this is the information I need to capture. I'm going to capture that in one uh, coherent step that's consistent with the rest of the rest of the process that I actually want to deal with. And they don't have to deal with that, with that legacy piece that's sitting in some, uh, some backend system that's very, very hard to decompose or very, very hard to get a point of entry into without uh, a, a mass of, of, of information or requirements that actually, uh, that actually are not really necessary for the specific process that you're actually dealing with. Right. And so if you're if you're trying to stitch them together, right, creating that connective tissue to have sort of, um, well, I guess we're back to platformization at that point, because platformization really is the connective tissue between these different systems so that it seems like a seamless experience, even though you may be using five or six different technologies. Yeah, it's the it's the it's a bit of the microservices approach where you have a common way of talking to all of that functionality that you can use from any other place to actually deal with those systems um, or that bit, those pieces of functionality, depending on what level of maturity you're at. Um, and, and, and actually pulling that together is really the key. Absolutely. And I, I would think that another important part of this, of course, is data. Um, especially when we talk about integration, a, a big part of that is data and how do you get all that data to flow through seamlessly? So it's really the, it's, it's really the pieces, those, those microservices, each being discrete and dealing with the data that they need um, and being able to talk to each other through that fabric um, of actually being able to uh, to exchange information with other pieces um, that don't necessarily need all of that same information that's required in that particular domain um, to actually be able to, to, to move that back and forth um, and integrate those things together uh, to make those processes work well. Yeah, data is, it's, it's interesting to see where we have seen um, the ecosystem for data. Clients are looking for that holistic view of the customer um, being able to understand all the different data points within the organization and the ability to use those microservices to ha have a standardized platform for the data set you need and being able to connect those when you need it. Um, I think that's one of the challenges that we've seen as well is um, it's not just a matter of taking all that data and storing it in one location. It is what type of information does each system or each journey need uh, user journey need and how they can use that. Um, and so that's that's really critical to um, integration when we talk about the microservices and how we're pulling that from different systems uh, that our clients will have, right, that you see in the industry. Absolutely. So it, it sounds like in order for any of this to work, you need to have a, uh, a really good data strategy. So Based on what I've heard, and I am not a techie at all, <laughs> so not overly knowledgeable about it, but it, it seems like firms have all this data, but they don't have the right data strategy, right? They're not really using it appropriately. So what are some of the challenges there? Why aren't they able to use it properly or uh, what needs to be done from their side? 
I think there's a couple of, of areas that uh, they can look at. It, this, this comes from the evolution of having different systems that would store data and then getting to an environment that we see now where each of these systems are, are not standalone, they're connected. And so it evolves from having data in different areas and now realizing that that data needs to move um, into, into different components. And so uh, you, typically what we see is how you get from a, from a disparate data sources into a cohesive strategy, making sure that you have the right data integrity. So often you'll see that there'll be data in different areas, there'll be duplicates, there'll be um, different processes that are working that are using data in different aspects. And uh, so without having that overall strategy of what type of data I need, when do I need to use it, um, it's very difficult to get to that endpoint. So I would say to get there, you know, the first step is absolutely looking at what are all the different data sources you have and understanding what type of data you need to drive the insights you want, right? Insights from an AI or from a customer perspective or even, you know, we talk about personalization, right? And I think that's a key aspect of what you need to do. I think there's also a bit of a philosophy shift there as well. Um, when you have data in legacy systems or large monolithic systems, you think of that as being owned by one particular system um, or set of processes. As you start to break that down um, and expose that data in different ways in smaller increments or smaller pieces, um, you get away a little bit from that idea that that particular system or that particular process is the owner of that data. They're really the steward of that data, but it's used across a bunch of different areas um, where it makes sense to be pulled in. And that's, that's sort of the philosophy shift that I think, um, you know, needs to happen, uh, particularly in organizations that have longer life uh, products that are supporting them. Um, and you know, it's, it's that, that's where that componentization platformization comes in. You break that down. The data has a steward, but not really so much an owner. It's, it's a, it's a custodian of the data, um, that's used by wherever it's actually necessary. from. Absolutely. And so you, you have the data and then, uh, obviously making sure that it's collected properly and then bucketed appropriately for each of these systems uh, is key here. But, you know, I do wonder, like, if if I think about a large firm that's been around, you know, for decades, for instance, who's very data rich, um, and now they're trying to meet market demands, and you brought up personalization, Jay, which is very big in the marketplace. Clients want personalized experiences. They want meaningful interactions. Now, how does some of these firms even get started on that when they have like terabytes of data that's just sitting there collecting dust? So really, I mean, there's a, there's a, there's a saying in the IT industry, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? Um, <laughs> you start with your monoliths. <laughs> it is. Um, it's a Never bad one, but <laughs> elephants don't taste very good. Um, <laughs> sorry. Sorry. <laughs> The, the goal or the, one of the goals in those, in those systems where you've got terabytes and terabytes and terabytes of data is to start understanding what data you actually have and where else it might be useful. And that second part is probably actually even less important than understanding what data you need to expose. So you expose that data whether it's through microservices, whether or not it's through streaming technologies, um, or whether or not it's just through, you know, sort of some of the some of the older data exposure techniques like data access through database connections or files or things like that. Um, you actually take that data, and as soon as you start being able to expose it, you start to unlock the value um, in different processes that aren't necessarily managed by the systems where it's captured today. Uh, and that's really sort of the big piece. Start building those interfaces, start building the ways to get that data and use it in different contexts that I think are the, are the most important. 
Yeah, and we and we see it in the products that are available in the industry, um, even including you know some of the other products, even the products that we have, and uh, the ability to actually use some of the tools out there from an AI perspective to be able to source that data, see behavioral trends, and be able to then pull that back to um, advisors or clients in the front end to help them with their journey. You know, we we saw that in the survey results. People are looking for personalization. They are looking for, are there suggestions that advisors can provide for clients as they continue their life journey and their financial needs? Yeah, and we saw this with the advent of, of COVID, right? It seems like overnight firms just started scrambling to accelerate their uh, digital transformation uh, just to, to be able to, to bring that personalization experience uh, to, to clients. And and uh, Tom, you men- mentioned um, when it comes to data, context is 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 important. Um, it's the same with creating these uh, personalized user experiences because we cannot just look at it as you know um, we cannot just use a broad brush to to paint or or to design these wealth management tools. We have to like really differentiate. The, these use different user goals and their their paths or, or the flows that will get them um, to 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 get to that particular uh, data. At least from a user experience standpoint, we have to look at it that way as well. Absolutely, personalization is definitely you know an area that's gained a lot of traction, uh, as we mentioned earlier, um, and it was really brought on because you have, you know, your Netflix and your Google and your Amazon that's constantly just giving you very meaningful um, products or just updates on on you. You know, for instance, I'll get news on Google that Google knows I'm interested in receiving, right? Um, So it feels like, okay, this is a meaningful interaction. Um, It's not just like some random thing that's being generated for me. And that has moved over to the wealth management industry where clients expect this personalization from pretty much every aspect of their life because they're like, well, I know that you have this data on me. I know you're collecting all this information from me. Now, what are you doing with it and how is it going to benefit me? So really, I mean, that's a that's a great opportunity. Um, once that data is actually unlocked and exposed, um, as Jay mentioned, you start pulling that into machine learning capabilities, um, AI capabilities that start driving insight and relationships between that data and behavior that, um, you know, other other clients have, um, and you can actually start looking at how that actually drives different outcomes from, you know, an investment performance perspective, from a client satisfaction perspective, um, from a amount of touch required um, to actually work with, with customers and how to, how to make the most effective use of that time. Yeah, it's um, one of the areas that we see a lot of is around um, how, how a lot of our clients, especially for um, and users of, of wealth management services, how can we give them those insights to have that more personalized service? So um, uh, we've seen things on attrition, you know, advisors want to know, you know, what is the attrition rate they're going to see from some of their clients? That's some interesting um, statistics that they can then be able to look at and say, how can I prevent that? Is there things I need to look at? How can I be able to provide um, more affinity to services that clients uh, across a different segment may have, may have, right? The traditional view, I think, of clients was based on asset value. Mm-hmm. And that is completely turning upside down. And we're saying asset value is just one um, dimension of the, of, the, of the data we have. But we can actually now segment clients into much uh, more granular um, uh, groups that we can help provide service to on a different level. Absolutely. And it's really interesting that you guys have uh, brought this up. Um, In our previous uh, episode uh, with Brian and uh, Malik, we spoke about data insights and um, NBA or next best action, um, because that is something that client uh, that advisors want now. Right. They they want to be able to have um, I guess sort of like a cheat sheet. Right. Okay, Like, what do I need to focus on for today? Um, so 
AI and artificial learning um, and ML machine learning are a big part of this. Um, and all of that goes back to, again, data. Like, how do you collect it and then how do you use it? Yeah, that's right. I mean, the the the, the real power or one of the real powers of that data once you start unlocking it is that you can start feeding it into those into those models and refine and have those models refine themselves over time um, to drive that insight to actually make those suggestions in terms of Lubna is going to do this next or Tom is interested in that next um, to actually help guide the advisor to make that interaction with the individual a lot more meaningful. Yeah, and it goes to the standardization of the microservices. So when we uh, do implementations for our clients and we see what's happening in the industry with with uh, implementations for our clients, the actual product that they take is just a portion of what they need. What they what they need. It's really around the integration to the various systems. We spend a lot of time in working on the the interface files and um, the interface specifications of how they can actually integrate that. Um, and that turns out to be up to 40 to 60% of, of the effort um, because that's what they want to unlock. They want to be able to use that product and connect it between the various components. And so um, you talked about uh, how do they go about doing that journey, right? One of, the, one of the areas they go about doing that is really looking at how is that product going to fit in their ecosystem and how do they want to use the, the integration between those, right? And it's not, in some cases, it may be using certain aspects of a product. In other cases, it may be using the output of it in another system and making sure that they are able to get the value uh, unlocked from that. And when we're talking about data, um, I believe research really plays a key part in it because just because we have the data doesn't mean that we can just push everything uh, to our um, to our clients, right? We need to we need to really understand what it is that they need, what it is, so that we can custom tailor the kind of data that we push to them, and we can further personalize it. I think that's that's really critical for us to understand the current demand for such data as well. And, and we're going there, but you're absolutely right. It's we will get <laughs> clients and we'll see in the industry, just give me all the data, right? Um, and providing that data. So it's gone from I don't have the data to I want all of the data to what do I actually need to do with that data and what are the needs? So um, there's going to be a strong push for that, absolutely. And, and I think a lot of it comes back to something you mentioned earlier, Amy, is around the context of that data and actually being able to make sense of what you actually have, um, which is which is why we tend to cringe a little bit when we say we just want all the data. And I mean, of course, it's the client's data. They're 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 definitely entitled to it, but the data as just raw data has so much less value than it could um, versus understanding it in context. Um, that, uh, that that is is really the trick part. Yeah, the tricky absolutely. Part. So similar to when we're designing dashboards, for example, we, we don't just push everything. Um, we don't just think that one size fits all. So we try to determine what is the role of this user? What do they need to get out of this data? So that's where we come in and personalize the kind of information that we present to them. And it gives them a lot of control as to what kind of information they're, they really need for their day-to-day -day tasks as well. Yeah. So context really is key. You're yeah. right. As well as as well as just identifying that there's something more here. You yeah. really need to drill down into that. Yeah. But that's the that's the that's the next level. It's the starting the conversation and getting that getting that I need to get to the next step that uh, that is really important. Yeah. yeah, just having the client portal and being able to log in and see stuff is is no longer sufficient. No. Right? It's I want to be able to uh, see what's specific to me, yeah. and I want to be able to change it. I think that's more important, right? Personalization is um, not is non negotiable in this day and age. This is what our our clients look for. And this is exactly what they expect. Yeah, and it sort of ties back into that integration piece. Um, you know, we talked about microservices and being able to integrate at multiple layers, whether it's at a, at, a, at a data layer or a functional layer or at a presentation layer or at a user experience layer. 
um, is being able to pull those things together um, lets you build that personalized experience for the advisor and tweak the advisor or cue to the fact that there's something going on here mm -hmm. that you need to dig a little deeper into or um, you know there's a behavior that you want to that you want to try and capitalize on or change if necessary yeah and the clients that are and the, and the products that are leading the industry that we see are ones that have that standardized uh, microservices layer that uh, can be applied and flexible for any type of systems that a client may have mm. right the custom integration uh, they are they are required in some instances but having that set of microservices library um, uh, is is really important to allow those uh, clients to evolve as they use the product. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well said. <laughs> what he said. <laughs> <laughs> now there were a few really interesting things that I that I heard in there, and I want to dive a bit deeper into. So uh, personalization, of course. Uh, Amy, you said that it's not negotiable, right? It's become table stakes now. So before where it was like, oh, you know what? Personalization, if you have it, it you're ahead of the curve, right? It, it's amazing. You're going to get all these different opportunities because you have it since no one else does. But that's no longer the case. And technology is moving at a really fast speed. Um, and of course, it's very difficult for, for firms to keep up because there's something new being released every day. We have all these really cool fintechs uh, that come out and have really interesting services that are provided. So I want to dive uh, a bit deeper into that. If you are a firm that has been around for a while and you know this is being demanded from you and you know we've spoken a bit about them having sitting on all this data now they need to start figuring out a way to use the data but how like again how does that journey begin for them right so like yes they have to go out and start using certain portions of the data but if i look at it from like a architectural framework it they know they want the streamlining and the integration, right? And so that sort of leads us to that platformization idea. And that's something we've discussed in previous episodes. But really from an architectural perspective, how, how do they connect all of these dots and make a working platform? So it, the, the first step in that journey is always the creation of the capability to expose that. And that's really what microservices are about. There's a there's a there's another piece where you talk about um, dealing with um, you know the functional side or the process side, um, which is really stitching those pieces together. Um, but the real first piece is start building and breaking your your legacy data down into components um, and we're really talking about data components at that level. So domains of data, areas of interest of data. Um, and that's sort of how you group them in a logical way to be exposed um, so that they can actually be consumed by multiple things. The big, the biggest piece is to start building out that microservices architecture that exposes your data um, and that you have a context wrapped around it. So that's maybe less of an actual system implementation thing and more of a data governance thing, understanding what that data, how that data was captured, what it actually means, and what are the right things to actually use it for. But it's really building that data exposure layer that, that, uh, that is, the, is, is the start of it. Um, once you actually have that, you start layering pr a process layer on top of that that lets you implement and quickly change the processes that you actually want to execute. Um, once you have sort of those two pieces, you can start putting that context around it, personalizing it, um, and that's all done without necessarily making a massive change to your legacy systems or more mature systems that have been around for a while. Right. And will that also allow you to uh, start creating your, you know, your connective tissue for platformization without having to rip out the old system? The, the, the real key is the creation of those microservices. So when you start talking about using um, things like uh, um, 
uh, RESTful technologies, those are ubiquitous. You can pull them in from a user interface. You can pull them in from an integration bus. You can pull them in from a, from a data extraction fabric um, that you want to feed into data lakes that may be feeding your ML and AI processes as well. Yeah, it really provides that buffer between that legacy system or data store that you have and what you have on the front end, what the client is seeing, right? And so uh, to Tom's point, you by using those microservices, that is really, you know, I would consider it the plumbing that allows you to not have to worry about the back end and make those changes, um, which can be time consuming. It can be very costly, right? Um, you look at you look at the implementations that we do now, there's a really key role, um, which is data science. There's usually a data scientist that's involved in that program team. And the reason for that is it's such a key component that if you don't look at it from that data perspective, it, it doesn't matter what you build, you're not going to be able to unlock that value. So we, we've seen that view of, of data science being such a critical component um, to what you need. And then the other aspect that I think, Tom, you touched on is um, traditionally when we look at systems, they've been, or operations or processes, they have been geared towards what that system was. So I do account transfers, I do trade administration, uh, I do corporate actions, uh, common operation functions that a lot of financial services clients have. But that is not necessarily the journey that a client sees. Client's going to open an account, they're going to make a trade, they're going to fill out all the, their forms, they're going to do a number of different steps in their journey. And so the ability to take those processes that were traditionally looked at just a common function and put it through a user journey um, is critical to understanding how you how you connect that to the data science. And I know, Amy, that's probably a big component of, of what you look at. Yeah, it is. Like, it, it's very, very important um, because we cannot just, you know, start designing or start recommending that, for example, we, we need to build a solution for the, for the client without that, that critical information. So you're right. Right. So uh, a lot of really interesting things there that we'll explore a bit more. But Tom, you mentioned having these two layers. Um, and earlier on, we were we were kind of uh, talking a bit about AI and ML. So once these layers are established and there's there's room for personalization, is that also the point where firms can start doing some interesting things with things like um, artificial intelligence? Yeah, it's really sort of the, the, the underlying data exposure pieces um, and, you know, whether or not that's a set of microservices that allow you to access that data in real time, um, messaging, uh, messaging pr approaches where you're actually getting notified that changes are happening or that, that, uh, that interesting business events are actually happening, or whether or not it's mass data movement that is feeding into these processes that are, you know, training models to actually be able to understand what kind of insight, what kind of uh, what kind of correlation there is between things that are going on and things and and things that are about to happen or potentially about to happen? Um, you know, maybe you're about to lose a client. Maybe maybe the maybe the client uh, portfolio is about to grow. Um, so you know, being able to drive those things once you actually have that data exposure layer, that's 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 the that is the key step in unlocking uh, those ML and AI capabilities to do all of those things. So I'm curious uh, to learn then, where is the industry currently with that data la uh, layer exposure? So really, there's there's a couple of ways that it's exposed. Um, you know, sort of a, a traditional way of dealing with it is, as Jay said earlier, just give me all the data. Um, the the some of some of the some of the little more little more forward thinking uh, ways of looking at that right now are when we start looking at events and data streaming. Um, so understanding the data and dealing with the data um, in a more of a near real, more real time mode um, where, you know, a, a, a a client has made a change. Um, what does that actually mean? What does that, what do we think their next 
behavior is going to be based on the types of changes that they've made um, is is really sort of where that where that seem, where that's going um, more than sort of the traditional data feeding that goes on. Okay, that's really interesting uh, because uh, again, I'm not a technical expert like you guys are, so very happy to have this conversation with you all. But the way I view it is that I, I go back towards the advisor and what their needs are and what they're asking for, right? And so um, their needs are quite clear and we've mentioned them several times <laughs> throughout the series, but again, it's having that integration um, and the streamlining. And so the way we've, uh, the way I look at it, the way they get those pieces is through, again, the platformization. And the way you get there is through data and having the correct data, having it exposed properly in the, you know, appropriate different layers that, that there are to data. Um, but like, what else is key it, to getting to that platformization arena? It's, it's, it's understanding the context of the data as well. So, um, you know, we talked about that uh, from a personalization perspective and a data use perspective. It's really around that data use piece. So, you know, some people call it context, some people call it data governance. It's really about understanding what data you've captured and what you can actually, what you can actually use it for. And in some cases, what you can't use it for based on what context it's been captured in as well. Yeah, I, I often equate it to, if you talk about the, the platformization and, and how to get there, I, I equate it to, you know, what you see with, with Apple and your, and your iPhone. Right, they have an iOS store, an Apple store, and uh, they're independent developers who develop these products, but they're all developed to specifications uh, that Apple defines, right? And what that does is it unlocks the ability for each person. Amy can have her set of Apple apps on her phone. I can have a different set. Tom can have a different set. Um, We have the ability to personalize, use what we want, because there's a standardization around how those apps are all being provided. And those developers provide very creative apps, but they're all tied in to what uh, Apple has in their iOS store. So I, I usually equate it to something like that uh, that makes it uh, easier for, for people to grasp sometimes. Um, but I would say that how, they gonna, how, are, how are advisors going to use that data that's really where you're able to take the context of the data, the behavioral trends, and being able to then share it with an advisor. So uh, for an advisor to know, you know, typically when, uh, say I'll give an example of what we're seeing in the global marketplace today. Typically when there is uh, instability, there are going to be actions that are going to be taken by advisors and clients. If advisors are able to get that type of analytics up front, they can actually proactively go to their clients and say, this is something that we've seen. Would you be interested, right? It's that type of service and personalization that helps. It really drives a different level of relationship between the advisor and the client, right? Absolutely. Yeah, well, that makes me think, again, of next best action, right? Um, Surfacing those insights based on the available data, um, but I, I loved your Apple Store analogy. <laughs> I, that definitely simplifies it and makes a lot of sense. Um, but it, it got me to thinking about something else as well, which is that there's not just one type of advisor out there. There's many different types of advisors. So if we go back to your analogy of having different apps on the Apple Store, I think about how a firm can have all these different capabilities available to their advisor and then based on the advisor need and their book of business, they sort of pick and choose what, what functionalities they require. Exactly. It, what, what works for them. Uh, each advisor is unique. You're trying to build that relationship with your clients. And so the ability to have, um, to use different types of apps um, gives that personalization, gives that relationship. But even more important than that is you then have that cohesive usage data around all the different functions and apps, and you can actually provide insights on top of that, right? Uh, and so if we use the Apple example, not only are, you know, Amy and I probably have different apps on our phone, but 
the iOS store is able to understand how is it being used by everyone? What is that usage data? And then they're able to provide more insights. And so uh, large firms are able to harness that power if they have the ability to have customized um, solutions that are all using that same type of platform. Right. And and my mind goes to advisor analytics uh, when you mentioned all that data collection. Um, we know that advisors are curious. They want to know how they're doing compared to other advisors who have a similar book or have similar models. You know, um, sort of where do I rank within uh, within that area? And if that is something that firms can provide, it would definitely be helpful. It would uh, also help a lot with the practice management side of things. Um, so, you know, we noticed that you uh, have a big investment in XYZ. Well, other advisors have a big investment in this, also have an investment or th in this, or they tend to do this set of things, right? Um, and that can help an advisor streamline and also give some guidance, particularly uh, when we speak about rookie advisors who are just coming into the industry. They're looking for that type of guidance. And I, th I think, you know, some of the, some of the things, you know, the, the next, next, best, uh, next best action that, uh, <laughs> that we've mentioned a couple of times, um, driving that correlation between, um, you know, the composition of a portfolio um, versus versus how those portfolios do over time um, and how sticky those clients are with particular advisors um, are all things that can add into there. Absolutely. And uh, it, I'm and on the flip side of that, it's, of course, client analytics. Right. So uh, you, the advisor is getting their analytics for what they're doing and what they can improve on. And then on the other side is client analytics. So I have these types of clients. What do they value? What do they want from me? Do they want me to be proactive and reach out to them constantly? Or should I just, you know, kind of sit back and this client prefers that I not reach out and they come to me, right? And these are these are all very small and nuanced things that advisors pick up on time as they build relationships with their clients. But, you know, advisors, again, are human. Uh, they can't do it all. Uh, limited capacity uh, is also an issue because they have this expanding role that we've been talking about over the last two episodes where they're doing so much more than just their traditional stuff of financial planning and investment management. So now... How do you help them manage all of that? And uh, that's where I feel have surfacing insights and having next best action would be really helpful to them. And I think you know you you end up wanting to drive a lot of that a lot of that insight, whether it's client analytics or advisor analytics, um, as part of as part of those those layers that we talked about earlier. You can actually embed those within a process. Um, that actually drives a different, uh, a different, a different presentation from a from a user experience perspective, and as well prompting people that you know particular actions make sense in this particular context, um, as opposed to others where that may not be where a client wants to go at all. Absolutely. And that goes, again, back to personalization, right? And it's so, all tied together. <laughs> it's all a circle. It comes back. Uh, so, uh, yeah, that, that's really fascinating. And it really does get me thinking about, you know, again, different client technologies, what they have available to them today. Um, something that I was actually really happy to see in the survey was that clients said their technology was becoming easier to use. Um, and so when I saw that, I'm like, that's amazing. Um, I remember when I was in the industry, that wasn't always the case. Um, you always had to play around with whatever tool was introduced to you a fair bit in order to understand it. So now that we're shifting away from that and making things more intuitive, um, I think is a great area to go. And Amy, I would love to hear your thoughts on this. So... That's actually pretty interesting because in the last decade alone, UX has undergone tons of changes, tons. 
So we regularly hear, you know, uh, new technologies. Well, they're not really new technologies, but technologies such as um, there's machine learning, AI. So this is what you guys were uh, talking about earlier. There's uh, gesture control. There's voice interfaces. There's automation. Uh, there's virtual reality. And without a doubt, these technologies have have really enhanced and improved uh, the, the the human and machine interactions. But when there are new technologies, these will most likely than not break existing mental models. And uh, for, for us, because we always evolve, we will form new ones. And for, for UX, it, it's really, really critical for, for us to, you know, even before we start designing for solutions, that we have to, uh, I think I mentioned this earlier, we have to have a, a, a solid understanding of the, the present demand. We have to be able to identify what our users need even before we start building anything. Um, and as designers, and I guess it's the same with product managers and so on and so forth, um, we need to you know, have a really strong grasp of these technologies because the way our users interact with, for example, existing or current technologies will be, will be different from how they will interact with um, future technologies or, or new technologies. And for me, I have this philosophy, um, always design for chaos. <laughs> because as, because as, uh, as human beings, we are prone to making mistakes. We are prone to making errors. So we have to take all of those into account whenever we're, we're dealing with new technologies. So for example, we have to ask ourselves, Will the client be able to get from point A to point C if they missed point B? Or if we're dealing with noob or technologically challenged users, will they, able, will they be able to perform the same tasks with ease as compared to tech-savvy ones? So um, always when, when, when we're talking about new technologies to enhance the customer experience, we have to take those um, those items into account. They're very basic um, concepts, but we always have to take them into account. And we've seen that um, just in the last three years when you talk about how we have moved from an in-person face-to-face to a virtual environment, right? I don't think we would have moved at any speed like that if it wasn't for what happened, uh, you know, with, with the global world and the pandemic. But that has now forced us to look at that technology and you've seen it, uh, you know, that was one of the insights in the survey was uh, individuals are looking for that virtual relationship with their advisor um, and they are looking for more than just the face-to-face. Yeah. And I think if you have a large group of individuals using that technology, if it's not flexible, um, people will use it at different levels in terms of their, of their learning. So. Uh, just interested how you've seen it um, in the last last two years. Yeah, I, I don't think that you know the um, in person. Uh, like I'm, I'm speaking from an, an advisor point of view. I don't think it will become obsolete. You know, um, there are still advisors who will deliver these personalized services through email, through phone, through uh, the regular classic or old school channels. I don't think that's going to become obsolete. But as we see the dem- demographics change, so there are millennials, um, Gen Z, or even Gen X like myself, um, we're starting to see that shift. Like we're now looking or expecting smart, um, uh, what do you call this, methods or options for us to to, to, to connect with our advisors. So you're right. It, it, there's going to be a huge uh, shift when, when it comes to that. And we're, we're seeing that right now, right? Um, people are expecting multiple channels to be able to do that, uh, as well as our clients, even for, for our advisors. So uh, I think that's one of the um, things that we can expect as we look at new technologies come in. Right. And so when we, because this is a really interesting area for me, I think that it's about time. Things got more efficient uh, and easier in this arena. And, you know, I'm very happy to see that it's headed there. Firms have been working very hard and diligently to deliver the required technology to their uh, advisors um, and other employees as well. But I do wonder, you spoke a bit about the user journeys. Um, So when a firm is 
trying to introduce these new technologies and ensuring that advisors see the value and there's a good adaption rate um, because sometimes there's just so much change coming your way very quickly. It can be difficult to adapt every piece of new technology that comes out. So you'll have, you know, certain teams just ignore certain pieces that they don't need for the time being. What are some of like the best practices that firms should be aware of when it comes to introducing all these technologies and at the pace that they introduce them? I think they need to understand that design is a continuous journey. So take, for example, the light bulb. We didn't get, it didn't come into like existence because we kept, you know, uh, improving on candles. It's, it, it doesn't work that way. So same thing with what the, with the example that you said. We have to put on a mindset that um, design is a continuous journey. So we have to keep going back to users. We have to keep um, finding or getting insights from them to that, that covers their entire experience or interactions with, with our product. I think that at least for, for my practice, that's what we, we do. We look at it as a continuous journey. It's not like uh, you come up with a solution and then that's it. Uh, or you don't, you know, try to um, cover everything and just incorporate all of these new technologies that come in. You have to decide whether is that the right time to adopt this? Is there a, a demand for it? Is there a need for it from our existing users? So at least that's how we should approach it. And I think one of the things that that sort of rings very true with that is, um, you know, earlier we were talking about platformization, where you're breaking things down into pieces that can be used independently um, and stitched together in different ways. Really, when you start to do that with some of the processes and user experiences that you're putting together and don't try to necessarily encompass an entire process with every single bit of input that could possibly come in, um, you get that flexibility to be able to make those changes more quickly. And it's not a huge disruptive change to an end user when you're saying, I'm adding this process here in this step that we found 95% of the time you did anyways after, the, after you completed this one. Right. It, that makes sense. And it's definitely a continuous journey. Uh, we're always learning, always inventing uh, within this industry. Um, and the industry itself has seen a lot of change, right? Like wealth management, when we look at it from a technology perspective, it was a bit static for a while. And then all of a sudden you just had like this acceleration of digital transformation that took place. And that is the journey that all these firms are currently going through. They are trying to digitize all of those user journeys, right? From everything from step one of onboarding to continuous monitoring and relationship management. Um, and so how, again, do you do that? And we sort of come back to this area over and over of, you know, having all these programs talk to each other, i.e. the integration, having them stitched together so that you're not signing out of one place and going to a different um, you know, uh, icon or whatever there might be on your screen. You're staying within the same portal um, and you just click on something else to create a new process for whatever you want to work on. And if, ev and if every component of that ecosystem speaks the same language, uses the same type of protocol, that's how you get there, right? That's how you're able to make that, that happen. And uh, in the past, we've seen ways where when this technology was evolving, we were trying to make those connections. It wasn't a seamless interaction. Now with uh, how we've evolved from APIs, you know, you call it microservices, um, there is the ability now to have that pure seamless integration um, for your clients, for your advisors. It becomes more of a plug and play operation to change your processes rather than a, rather than a massive business re-engineering effort. Absolutely. And also real-time data, right? So <laughs> no longer have to wait till end of day for a certain report or, you know, that quarterly performance report. If everything works properly, ideally the client should just be able to go to their portal uh, and say, oh, generate this report for me. 
and it should be live data, correct? And that's and that's where that the, those layers that we talked about earlier, the process layer, the data exposure layer, you build those processes in a way that they can be reused and torn apart and rearranged. You have the data at the at the lower levels that you can actually pull on and use and drive insight from and present in different ways that really sort of enables that. It's not, as you say, a wait till tomorrow when all my all my nightly processes have run to uh, to update this stuff. Absolutely. And um, I guess when we speak about thing, the this stuff, the other thing that comes to my mind is around data security. So we've seen in our survey that advisors now feel secure. They're not too concerned about data security. But we know that from the firm's perspective, it's definitely still a concern. Uh, you know, privacy and security will, as we become more digital, um, it'll always be a priority. And we've seen some things happen recently, different ransomwares um, that have shut down processes. So that besides those uh, having those data layers, sort of where does security fit in and how do firms make sure that, you know, security is something that uh, one fits in the puzzle and two is still a priority? So, I mean, there's a couple of pieces there. There's there's sort of how do you keep your data secure um, in such a way that it can't be compromised or used by unauthorized parties? And that's sort of the, the, the bottom layer of the cake, which is really sort of the data encryption, um, you know, the tools that, that are actually being used for that um, end up really, in most cases, being transparent to the application these days. So it's not so much of an application space or, you know, a cost or performance impact on how things are actually working. Um, it's sort of just a layer that's in place and, and maintains that level of security. But some of the evolution of that is as you, as you move to that model and get to that model, your data actually has less value to someone who's actually dealing with it um, from a compromise perspective. Um, they can't read it. Um, so the compromise is more from a service perspective. Um, as you start to decompose your product into your, your, your capabilities into these microservices and processes and personalized user experiences, the fact that you've compromised the, um, the availability of one particular environment doesn't matter because you pick it up and you move it somewhere else. So the 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 actual attractiveness to even attack these these uh, these systems becomes so much less because all you can really do is deny service, and you can only do that for a short period of time, anyways, because you've got the flexibility and the elasticity to be able to move that around and overcome those things very quickly. Yeah, I think you talk about security and privacy, and that is. You know, there's one aspect around uh, being able to personalize, being able to get the insight from from data. But the other side is making sure that you do it in a way that is, is safe and secure, but is also have the privacy, right? Privacy for clients, privacy for advisors. Um, as we see this technology evolve, we've seen companies who are at the cutting edge of data insights. Um, and they've had some challenges around privacy, right? Client privacy and, and how to do that. And you're seeing legislation catch up to that. We now have the privacy regulations. And I think one of the key aspects now is you go back to give me all the data. You know, you only use the data for what you need. You know, you don't, you don't gather an entire set of data. It's clear about what do you need and you only use it for that purpose. Um, and I think clients are looking for that personalization, but they're very concerned about my privacy, right? How is that data being used? Um, a lot of our clients uh, have to make sure that as they aggregate, aggregate data, they're doing so in a, in a meaningful way with the consent of clients, um, and it aligns to the legislation and, and, and privacy. And uh, that goes to personalization. I'm sure you see it all the time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So there are two sides of, of the coin, right? People expect us to, to provide them data, but at the same time, they, they expect you also to protect that same data. So, 
Absolutely. And so, you know, this uh, takes me to open finance, open banking, open finance. I feel like that's kind of uh, the area that um, comes into play when you speak about privacy, security, and the end client actually having control over over their data. Um, right, open finance. Ideally, it's meant to allow a client to control their data, know who's accessing it and for what purpose, and to also um, ultimately provide them with that personalization. So, when it comes to open financing or open finance, excuse me, um, where um, where are firms? in terms of the data uh, structure that they have, the infrastructure that's available to them? So I think a lot of firms um, have actually built sort of the the very bottom layer of that open finance type world, which is starting to build um, the pieces or having built and having available the pieces that actually expose that data. Um, the, the, the next level onto that is actually getting the standardization of that. So as Jay talked about earlier in the Apple store, how all those things are built to a common standard, um, knowing that to be able to get an account balance, um, from one system, I call this way, I use a standard message, um, and I get a standard message back that has my information, um, the wrapping around that of the security piece is to allow the actual owner of that data, the actual end person, to control who has access to what. So that I could say, for example, Jay's product has the ability to see my account balance, but not the individual transactions. But Amy, who's my financial advisor and is trying to tell me how to spend my money as opposed to just investing it, um, can actually look at those transactions and say, wow, you're spending a lot of money going to the movies. You should buy a big screen TV. <laughs> that, that, those are insights right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if I were an advisor, that's what I would say. <laughs> yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And so I'm actually really curious to get your guys' perspective um, on something that uh, I've been thinking about for the past little while, and I mentioned it uh, in our previous episode with Brian and Malik, and that is um, what I'm just calling for now in this partnership ecosystem. And it, it relates to uh, what you just mentioned there, Tom, with different individuals having different access. So if I think about the client of an advisor um, and the fact that clients are in different stages of their life, they have different needs. Um, and usually in order to service that client, there's more than one party involved, right? Um, so you have the advisor who may go and, for instance, invite in a financial planner or a trustee or a lawyer um, because the uh, advisor's role is, is expanding and they're providing this holistic set of services there's going to be more people that are involved in the process now. It's not just going to be the client and the advisor. And so now how do you have a system or a platform where all these individuals can interact and each individual can get the information that they need to meet that client's goals and needs? So it's, I mean, the the first real step is that is the evolution of that microservices model. We talked about it earlier being sort of the plumbing that lets all these pieces talk to each other. Um, it's, it's really sort of the standardization of how you actually get that information back and forth. So you can have a, the, you can have the same way of talking to these components, but the, the actual format of the data or the interpretation of that data that you're getting back until you actually have a standard way of dealing with that, that there's still a cost of entry there. The other piece that needs to wrap around it is the ability for um, individuals to manage the consent that they provide for people to actually see that data. So I can say, Jay can see my account balance Amy can see my actual transactions. Um, and at any time I can say, I don't want to let them do that anymore. I can pull that away. And it's, and it really gives me the confidence that the data is actually being managed and used in the way that I authorize and that it's under my control. Right. And so it sort of brings some of the pieces that have been, we've been talking about today together. It has that integration and, and data piece. It has the platformization, of course, and the open finance, right? Um, and included in that 
is also personalization, which is the main ask from a lot of clients now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's an enabler. They're really enablers for all for they. They're all interrelated, but they really enable that good, rich user experience that is tailored to what you actually need when you need it. Absolutely. So providing clients with the services that they need at the time that they need them and just making it very painless and easy, efficient, quick, so that everyone has access to what they need. Um, I think that is the perfect way to end this segment. Thank you to all of you for being here. Do you? Do any of you have any last thoughts that you would like to share? Oh, thanks, Lubna. I think this was. I think we had a great conversation today. I learned a lot, and uh, and you know, I love working with Amy and Jay. Yeah, <laughs> perfect. I love chatting with these guys. Lots of insights. Lots of things that you know. I, from a UX perspective, I can take away, and and. Um, just use that so thank yeah, absolutely. you absolutely absolutely thank you it's how everything connects so uh thank you for uh for having us and it's thanks a great conversation yes. Yes. Thanks, well this was definitely the perfect way to wrap up our series you know we started off episode one with really the business lens on it from an advisor perspective and then we moved to discussing a bit more about the product side with brian and malik and now we're wrapping it up with the three of you really trying to get a bit deeper into the technological enablers that would allow the things that advisors are asking for. So thank you. Wonderful. And we're out. Thank you.